Howdy, Fat Guy Forum listeners. Before we get into this week's episode, just a reminder that there is a great way for you to support the podcast and keep it going, and that's by joining the Fat Guy Forum Patreon that you can find at patreon.com slash gourmetgoesketo. I use all the funds from the Patreon to go for the subscriptions and equipment that are used on the podcast, and if you join now, you will have the opportunity to be a part of helping decide the direction of the podcast as we dive into some new topics and try out a few new things. So I look forward to having you on board. Sign up today. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fat Guy Forum. This is your host, Gourmet, here to bring you the story of yet another amazing fat guy who is doing some awesome things, like some, this week we'll say some ultra awesome things, and his name is... Eddie Fackler. Did I pronounce that correctly, Eddie? Yes, sir. You uh, could have gone to school to teach my school teachers how to say my name. You're, most people don't get it right, but well done. There we go. There we go. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing really well. Uh, it is warm here and uh, having a lot of fun doing some yard work, so I'm feeling great. Nice. I know we, we, got, you, we got you inside for a little bit, so, you know. Yes. Thank you I'm, for that. I'm happy to provide that for you, man. So, let's get to it, Eddie. Tell us what qualifies you to be on the Fat Guy Forum? Well, uh, I used to be 400 pounds, and uh, I'm no longer 400 pounds, but I've lost over 100 pounds in five separate attempts. Uh, I did the whole yo-yo thing. In fact, I've lost over 175 pounds twice. And uh, through the course of, I guess, self-discovery and uh, determination and persistence, I feel, you know, I feel that I've kind of come to terms with a what it was to be obese and morbidly obese, what was causing that, and found basically how I want to live now. Um, I guess that qualifies me as someone who, I mean, the fact that I was 400 pounds, I guess, is the ultimate thing that may qualifies me to be listed as a fat guy forum. And what, so take us, take us back to where it started for you. When did your, your, your weight issues develop? Uh, ironically, when I was a little kid, like up to five, six, seven years old, I was skinny as a rail. My parents couldn't get me to eat anything. And I definitely didn't have a weight problem. And then somewhere along the line, you know, I'd, I'd sit around as a little kid. I started, I'd eat food. I wasn't very active. I was an only child until I was 10. Um, I'm not saying that was the reason, but I didn't get out much. I'd sit around watching TV and I would just eat a lot. And I guess food, in a sense, became kind of my, my escape. And so by the time I got, you know, through my teens, I was chubby and fat. Um, then I got to high school, played football, which there as an offensive lineman, it came in handy because you're harder to move. But then um, through a couple of, you know, I was up and down. I, I moved to the Philippines for a time as a short-term missionary. And there, just because of being in the heat and being active a lot, I got down to like 175, which I felt great at. I'm, a, I'm 5'10", 5'11", somewhere in there. Um, later, I came back, started putting on weight again, because, uh, you know, getting back into the old habits of just, you know, eating the foods that you want to eat, uh, the foods that, I guess, in a sense, make you feel good. Uh, one of the problems for where I live is I live in... York County, Pennsylvania, uh, where in where in is Hanover, Pennsylvania, which is basically the snack capital of the world. Um, pretzels, chips, 
dozens of candy companies are all based here. And so it was no end to availability of sugary processed carbs. Uh, my dad worked for Thomas's English Muffin, so we always had bread in the house, uh, you know, we, for every, with every meal. And uh, so then um, eventually I went to Japan where I spent 15 years. But in the first couple of months, I bought a bicycle and literally started riding my bicycle 15 miles each way to work. And I found I could get to work faster by bike than I could by taking the train. So I once again got down to 175, kind of in that area. Um, I felt I felt amazing. Um, it was it was funny. I went in to get a fitness test at, at my gym, and the Japanese uh, instructor was making excuses to the girl getting tested with me, like don't don't compare yourself to him because he's insane. Because um, my numbers were crazy low. I was down to like 9% body fat. And um, so, but then my job changed and I couldn't take a bicycle to work anymore. But, you know, I was at that point burning, burning over 6,000 calories a day from just activity. And I mean, the furnace was stoked. The problem was that suddenly the activity was shut off. But the, the cortisol, as I learned later, you know, is still cranking out the desire to eat. And I kept eating and eating and eating and eating. And then eventually my weight started going up because I wasn't getting activity. Um, every Sunday night, I would order almost like the last order from Domino's and Pizza Hut because in Japan, they deliver. Um, so I would order a pizza last call, a large pizza, like a two liter bottle of Coke. Um, you know, they'd have specials on with like tater tots and you know, chicken wings and stuff. And I lived alone. So I would eat all of that in one night. And I'd stay up, you know, football games came on at two or three o'clock in the morning. I'd stay up to listen to the games and follow them through. The next. So my sleep was horrible. Um, you know, I just was doing about as many things humanly wrong as I could. And so my weight got to like 380. And um, it was, you know, it was embarrassing. And, uh, and it was also, it, it was difficult because I couldn't get close. It was bad enough being a gaijin or a foreigner in Japan trying to get close to fit you. But when you weighed the same as a sumo tori, which is a sumo wrestler, literally the only place you could get clothing was in a sumo wrestler shop. And people would make jokes about, you know, my size and stuff, you know, that, that always hurt. It always, it was, you know, self-esteem issues and whatnot. And then I guess finally, the, the, at that time, this wasn't even the final time that I started losing weight. Um, one of my friends from New Zealand came up to me and she was just drunker than a skunk. And she got me and got right in my face and said, she's like, look at you, look at you. Like, <laughs> you're a good looking guy, but you're a good looking guy. But like, she's like, I'm embarrassed to talk to you. Like you're like, you know, someday you're going to want a wife and kids. And she said, don't you, aren't you like worried about, you know, your health and, and these things and got, she was really raw. And, um, it was a huge way. It was exactly, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. And quite literally the next day I made massive sweeping changes, cut out all the fast food, um, basically started eating, you know, you know, I still didn't know what I was doing yet. All I knew was I just had to eat better. And so I, I basically went to a very strict um, regimented eating situation. I started grazing in a sense, where, but I would eat like really health, quote unquote, healthy foods. Um, I used my membership to Costco in Japan. There are only three. 
And I used one of them as a place to get like blueberries and strawberries and big things of yogurt, um, plain yogurt, and started eating that way. And like in, in the first week, I lost like 12 pounds. Because, um, yeah, at the front end, I, it doesn't take when you're that messed up, it, you, you know, it doesn't take much to make a, an initial change. And so a week later, I called her up on the phone. And I said, I won't I won't say her name. She knows who she is. <laughs> and and she's I thanked her repeatedly for what she did. I said, and I, I got all real, like in her face over the phone. I'm like, look, you, I want you just to sit there, shut up and listen to what I have to say to you. And I thought she thought I was going to just rail on her. And I just, I just thanked her. I said, you, you may have saved my life. And so within a couple of months, I had lost 80 pounds. And um, I remember the next time I got to see her, I was like two shirt sizes down. My belt size was down like 10 to 12 inches. Um, and when I left Japan, I had lost almost 100 pounds. Um, that was probably about like nine months later. But then, uh, you know, then it happens again. You come back to the States. I'm going through a thing with my mom with cancer. And, um, you know, you start making the, the bad choices creep back in. And um, I, I thought that I, I recently listened to your interview um, on Keto Savage with uh, Robert Sykes. And I, I just I've been like, yes, that's me. That's me. That's me. Like everything you said was so similar to what I've done and had to go through. And there is no, there cannot be a, I deserve this. I've worked really hard. And I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned is when you hit a milestone goal, if you want to reward yourself, make the reward anything other than food. Go out and buy a new belt, go out and buy a new shirt, go buy some new sneaker. I mean, whatever you're going to do, don't make it food related. <laughs> well, it's, it's like that idea of, you know, I, I didn't, I'm, I'm trying to do the best. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't shoot myself in the face with this bow and arrow. So now I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. Like it's taking, like I got, I got rid of these things that were causing me pain. And now I'm going to go back to it to celebrate the fact that the pain's gone. Like there, there's a, there's a, there's a break in the logic cycle there. There is. And I, it's, it's, um, I think and part of the problem is uh, our, our society doesn't understand how to fix itself. And, and I would say also, and to double down on that, um, something I've been thinking a lot about since you've asked me to be on the show, um, is that too much, too, too often doctors, employers, everybody, there, it's all knee-jerk reaction. Everybody's addressing the symptoms, not the cause. And I think that's really what it comes. You know, it, it's you know, I've been I, I coach and counsel a couple of people, and you know, not people who some of them are morbidly obese, but some aren't. And they're like, okay, well, you've lost all this weight, so and you're doing crazy things now, um, athletically. So what are you? How, you know, what what do you got to do? And I said, well, everybody talks about you know, like well. You, I, everybody thinks the, the average person thinks it all comes in the gym. Like I got to work harder. I got to burn more calories. I got to eat less food. You know, the whole calories in calories out thing. The, and um, I'm like, you know, I said, I, well, I'll tell you this, like the month in the last three years that I burned the most calories was also the month that I ate the most and gained the most weight. Because like a year ago in May, I did over a million steps 
Um, my friend and I, we walked across the Oklahoma panhandle um, over the course of a night, basically took us an entire day. And um, at the end of that, my friend's like, you know, you could hit, um, you could hit a million steps this month. You're on pace right now. I'm like, and I said, no, I, I, he said, no, he said, do the math. You're, you could easily can do this. So then I, I looked at it and I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll give this a shot. So I did it. And then the last two days of the month, I did the Goggins challenge, which is essentially 48 miles in two days, um, where you run four miles every four hours. And then you have, a, you have three hours or such to recover for your next four mile run. Um, it's not hard in the distance as much as it is in just getting awake at midnight and 4 a.m. for those runs. And that that last 48 miles put me over a million steps for the month. But that month, I, I also I ate like a freak. I mean, I was just I could not get enough calories. And I ended up putting on probably the most weight that I've put back on in any given month since I've lost my weight. Now, I, I didn't, you know, get crazy heavy again, but I, I did, you know, I it wasn't like running saved my life. Um, I'm running because I've lost weight. Um, I'm not sure if I answered that question, answered your question or not. I yeah, apologize. Well, you did like, I, I think I don't, cause I don't, there's more to your, to your, your journey in terms of like where, you know, in terms of your ups and downs, like, but I do want to ask you, cause I think one of right. the things that I've talked to a lot of people about is uh, when they talk about this idea of, you know, cause it happened to me. When you lose the weight, that's when a lot of people come out of the woodwork and say those things that your friend said to you. But now it's in the context right. of, oh, my goodness, I thought all of this was going to happen to you. You know, I, I remember in 2013 when I first, you know, had my first kind of like I had lost like you, like 100 pounds here, 75 pounds there, 150. Like, but when I lost over 300 pounds that in that one go, that was when people were like, we're so glad that you're alive. I was so worried that the next news I would hear is that you were dead. You know, like all of these things that no one ever said. And you had a, had a kind of an opposite experience where, you know, when she said that to you, it was while you were in the, you know, no pun intended, in the thick of it. Right. Like what? But the thing that's, that's interesting to me is so that sparked, you know, a big piece in your mind, but it wasn't the end of your journey in terms of losing weight and keeping the weight off. Like what do you think? You know, what came, tell, take us into kind of like the, all the things that kind of came next, but also why you think you were able to have that realization and kind of let that realization go. Right. Or, or um, would you even describe it differently than that? It, no, it, it, cause it, it, at any point in time, I think anybody who is obese and morbidly obese knows that their situation is unsustainable. Like I, you know, I, I, they realize they're not healthy. They realize they're not happy. And in, in my case, I was like self-medicating with food. You know, you're, you know, I, I'll freely admit I have a food addiction, which is part of the problem because food is a recognizable thing we have to have. Like if you have a heroin addiction, you know, you can't take heroin because it's going to kill you, but you have to eat something every day. <laughs> And so I think there's that bit of that crossover. So I think, however, at some point we have to come to that place where we say to ourselves, I'm, I have to fix this. I, I can't kind of take care of it. I, I need to absolutely totally like make this fix or it's the end. And I almost think that people need to 
un until you're deeply desperate, you just give it a half-hearted attempt, which 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 is in my case, you know, like you're like, and then what's what's even more frustrating is you get crazy fit. Like I was 175, I was, you know, I was riding bikes, I was doing centuries, which is 100 mile rides, and it was it was so much fun, but at the same time, like suddenly you, you literally fall off the wagon and then you, you, I guess the wagon keeps going and you can't find the wagon is, is kind of part of the problem. And it doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, well, you got yourself clean and free. Why can't you get right back on? And I, I think with, for all of us, that balance is so delicate. It, it is like a razor's edge. Um, in my case, one of the things that happened, um, I was with a, with a guy's retreat. We were like a wilderness thing up in Wisconsin, up a place called Devil's Lake. And um, we went up at night. It was like, you know, and we had like our little red, you know, headlamps so that nobody could see us, you know. And we went up on top of this mountain. And it, was, it was complete survival, like training. And at that time, I weighed 400 pounds. And I'm cruising up on the mountain. There was one point where I literally reached up and grabbed a tree to pull myself up. And as I pulled up, I literally pulled the tree out of the ground because of my weight and, and I went crashing over backwards and lost one of my water because it was, it was dark lost my water bottle I got to the top of the mountain you know huffing and puffing but I still got there because of determination and then later one of my friends told me that they were terrified but and I think you said something similar to this in one of your podcasts I can't remember which one it was but um they were terrified that they were going to have to like carry me off the mountain and they were like, we don't know how we're going to get him off if something happens. So, so when we left the mountain and we came off of it, we, there was always one or two guys with me. And I could, you know, just kind of being friendly, being cool, but no one ever told me what was going on. <laughs> and um, we got back and then literally like that, that we, and that ironically, that was the September 11th weekend, um, 2011. And that, that really started my journey. And from there, I started making changes. And then I got down to like 217. But then, you know, again, change, you know, things interrupt the flow of, of how you're dealing with your life. And, you know, your habits get broken. It doesn't take a lot. And suddenly, you know, you're back up to 330 pounds again, which is where I was December 2017. Which I th one of the things that's in there that I think it would be interesting for us to talk about for a minute at least is I, I think people on the outside of this experience of, of having been so obese and losing the weight and gaining the weight and losing the weight, they look at it and because they've never lived that life, in their minds, you put the weight on, you lost the weight, and now you're in, the, you're in Dreamtown. You know, you've, you've crossed the finish line, you've won the prize. You've gotten everything that they experience every day and how on earth could that go away? Like there's, there's a very, there's a strong lack of understanding, I think, because to them, the concept of going from 170 pounds to 400 pounds is so far outside the boundaries of understanding. Like no, no concept of how it can happen. No concept of how that behavior can happen. No way to understand any of the, the, because there, there's clearly you know, some positive feedback loops that are happening, you know, in our minds that are, you know, in our brains and our biochemistry that are allowing us to continue, like to do that, to put that weight on, you know, and to, to lose it and put it back on. Yeah. So it, it's, 
it, it's just one of those things that I think about. Like it's it's always fun for not fun. I guess fun's not the right word, but it's always nice for me to talk to someone who's been through that experience because I know you understand. You know, if I were to say I lost the weight, I gained the weight. I lost the weight, I gained the weight. It's like you understand that process. You know that how that can happen, even if we didn't go through it the same exact way. You know, at all right. on, on some levels, there's still that commonality of understanding. So it's more like I want people out there who are listening who have lost the weight and put it back on and are feeling like they're in this desperate place to understand that other people have go through that as well. And it's not this wildly strange thing that other people from the outside are looking at and kind of like seeing almost like, you know, a circus act. Like it's it's a part of life for a lot of people. Right. No, I would I would completely agree with that. And it's you know, it's. I think at, at its core, um, I started talking before about people that I coach. And it's like you say, well, it's, it's done in the gym is what the people normally, the society tells us. Um, and then you get the gym guys who are like, no, it's, it's, it's done in the kitchen. Like the kitchen is where it, it all happens. Um, you know, like your, your body is built in the kitchen more than the gym. And what I tell all my guys is, and this is where I ties in with what I think you just said, that is not untrue. But at its absolute core, the essential thing you have to fix is your mind. Because your mind can take any situation and make it better. It can also take any situation and really trash it and mess it up. I mean, it really, I mean, it is, you know, mindset matters. Um, I mean, anybody who's met me, especially if we're out running or whatever, like it takes me about, 137 seconds to bring up David Goggins. Um, so, you know, and people are like, oh, you're just a Goggins disciple. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm a, I'm a person who loves the fact that he wrote his book. He, that he did his, his work to help change mindsets. And, so, and basically one thing he talks about is like, there is no finish line. It's, it's not like, and you, I think you, you brought, you've talked about this several times and I've heard you speaking where you're like, well, I've arrived. Here I am. I can I can just now shut down and cruise. And that, in truth, never happens. Because if you got to 400, 500, 600 pounds, there has been or there was, like in my case, some disconnect going on where you, you feel safer at that weight. Something helped you get there. And you've got to address that. And until you fix that, there's always a danger that you're going to go back there. Um, that's, I, one of the things is, you know, I, I see a lot of people who get gastric bypass surgery and getting back to the whole thing of like, you're, put, you're fixing the symptoms, not the cause. And I, and so, you know, so many times I see people get that, but the doctor or, or the situation, they don't fix the mindset. And you read all these stories about like, well, the person lost all this weight, but then it comes back on. And now they've got a smaller stomach, so they're pulling out less nutrients. You know, I'm, I'm not bashing people who make that because I, I totally would have done – I was so desperate to lose weight. I was going like, if I had insurance and or had the money to do this, I would totally get my stomach stapled. And I did not because I didn't have the money. <laughs> I didn't have the insurance. And my situation didn't allow me to do it. On the backside of all of this, I am so thankful I didn't because now I know it's all me. And that may come across as arrogant, but at the same time, like, I now know that I own my change. And nobody can take that away from me. And I think anybody else who is working through that, 
can do the same thing. Like they can, it may take you a while to figure it out, but once you get there, it, it's, you know, cause the stomach's to surgery or whatever else, it's not the magic bullet. If you don't fix your mind, it's not, um, to get your, to get off the addiction to food, to get off of, you know, whatever things might be driving you, you're not going to have, uh, per, you know, I, I guess you can't even say there is only permanent success, but long-term success. Oh, for, and, it's a and bat, it's a, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was saying it's, it's a battle that just literally never ends. And I think that's something most of the people that have had weight loss surgery that have been very successful and have, have made that change will talk to you about all of the other work that they had to do besides have the surgery. Like it's not a one, one fix all. But I think like that, like kind of the point you're getting into is, is something that I've talked about a lot. And that's like how amazed I get at how flexible the human mind is. The fact that, you know, my brain adapted to being 540 pounds. You know, I was living, like when I describe what my life is like to a person who's never been that size, it's like talking, it's like taking them into the pot of a horror movie. You know, like the things I had to deal with and the challenges and all of that. But I can see on, to me, that was just life. You know, that was just like, because it's a, the brain allows that flexibility. So when you're working on making change and try to keep your mind out of it and focus on just making a physical change and just changing what you eat and don't work at all on the mind, again, it's the power of the mind, like the mind's power comes into play in ways that you're not even thinking about, you know, like in allow it, like it's, it's completely my screwed up head that allowed me to put on 270 pounds in six months. Like without my head in that game, that wouldn't have happened. You know, it's not like my body was screaming for that to happen. You know, as much as there was, an, there's an equilibrium and a set point and all that jazz that people would want to talk about, you know, there was still so much kind of like mind power at play in all of those situations. And you were, you were taking us to, you know, where you were December of 2017, because I know we're getting kind of close to when you started to really work on, on the mindset change for you. So, so bring us back into your, your journey and let us know what started happening for you. You know, you'd gotten back to 330 pounds. Right. So Christmas 2017, I was 330 pounds. Um, some, uh, by the way, previously, at one, right about the time that I was 400 pounds, um, I re-met the woman that became my wife. Give me a second. And um, when I met her, I was, again, at 400 pounds. So there's the whole aspect of that we fell in love at, at my biggest. And so in that respect, you know, I have so much faith and trust and, and love for her because of what happened with that. And um, clearly she wasn't falling in love with me for my money, because <laughs> there is none, or, or my looks. Um, but, you know, so that, that helped a lot. But then, of course, so then I lost some weight because I was, you know, I was working super hard in the gym. I was living in the gym. And that's when I got down to 217. I was tracking and measuring everything. I went to boxing boot camps. I was riding my bike. You know, I wasn't running much. I got down to 217 and then, you know, work schedules changed. I got back to th things, you know, changes happen and the dominoes start falling backwards the other way. I got back to 330 by December 2017. And um, I wasn't super happy about it. So, you know, one of my big things I always tell people is, I think the worst time that you can commit to change is New Year's Day 
because because then it becomes it's just a New Year's resolution. And we all know that New Year's resolutions fail. I said, if you're going to commit to a change, make it December 10th. Make it January 15th, but don't make it January 1st. Just, you know, just to break up the things. But um, in early January, for some bizarre reason, she downloaded onto her Kindle a book by a gentleman I know you're aware of named Vinnie Tordrich. And it was Fitness Confidential. And she's like, here, you you need to read this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. And she's like, you know, it's kind of like, it's your wife. So you're like, okay, whatever, I'll, I'll get to it. You know, and she's like, no, no. And then she... She didn't shove it down my throat, but she would occasionally come back to it. So after about a month, I finally broke down, took the Kindle, and started to read it. And it's an amazing story. And um, if anyone hasn't read it, I recommend reading it or getting the audiobook version, which is better because he actually reads it himself. And um, that kind of got me started on thinking, okay, well, let's let's rock it. And she could, then she said to me, look, she goes, the problem is that you the, the pilot light has gone out on the fire for your engines. If you get started, I know you can really crank this, but like, right, you just need to get your focus back. And then, so we had a friend who had lost a lot of weight doing something, uh, one of those MLM meal replacement plan systems. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and name it. I, <laughs> Cause I'm not on it anymore. Um, it's Opt, Optavia. And, and I knew I was like, no, it's not going to work. Blah, blah, blah. And she said, well, you know, our friend lost, all this way on she goes just just do it again just get your focus back so i i committed to do it for three months and then while i was reading the uh, probably unlike a lot of people who actually did it i actually read the booklets that came with it and in there they, they talked about how it puts you into ketosis i now understand that it doesn't <laughs> based upon everything like everything they talk about and so i'm like i've never heard of ketosis so i started digging deeper um, started doing, you know, looking at videos, pulling up books. And that's so why I found Jason Fung and I found like, you know, Jimmy Moore and the Keto Clarity. And I, you know, the, I went through like a series, I started hammering audiobooks. And, um, so basically in like the first three months, I lost just about 50 pounds, but I didn't even, I did not even finish the third month of the Optavia because at that point it was kind of like, it was the pole plane on my glider that got me going. But then once I was airborne, I started learning so much from reading these books and reading, you know, podcasts and um, watching videos on YouTube that I was like, I can figure this out on my own. But I didn't, I didn't stop reading books. I kept, you know, I, I started reading, I read like li literally everything that Gary Tobbs has written. Um, you know, good calorie, bad calorie, you know, the, about sugar, and then I started reading like stuff by Nina Teicholz. You know, um, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Like there's the the big big fat surprise, I think it is, or something like that. I went through all these books, and then along that same time, I sequestered my wife's Fitbit. Um, and so I started wearing that, and I started counting my steps. And you know, it's like, oh, I can get you know five thousand steps sounds cool. And then I'm like, wait, it doesn't give me a thing until ten thousand. So I'd start finding ways to get ten thousand steps. And then I walked my dog more. She, my dog loved long walks. She'd be like, oh, it's a longer walk. So, and then I remember, you know, started getting 10,000 steps every day. And then I was like, I wonder if I can get 20,000. And so the walking wasn't so much about burning calories as it was, I think, in a sense, to hide and get time to listen to books on tape, for want of a better term. 
And um, the longer I walk, the more I get time to listen to books. And so in, in my first year, between January 2018 and January 2019, I listened to over 100 books. And um, some stuff I didn't agree with, some stuff I just, I, I, I just I'm sh okay, I'll finish this book and I'm done. I'm never coming back to this guy ever again. But other stuff I've come back to multiple times. Um, like The Obesity Code by uh, Fong, I've listened to that ironically only about four times in, in the last three years. Other books I've listened to a lot more than that. Um, so I think in that, and as I, I would listen, I would see the crossovers. Well, he says this, and that ties in with what he's saying over here. So I see, you know, and, it, and everything that I was learning reinforced my own, was reinforced by my own, by my own personal experiences of I realized that working harder wasn't the answer to burning more calories and s sustaining fat loss. So I, I used a lot of um, a lot of fasting, and I people will always ask me like, "We well, lost a hundred, and I did. I lost a hundred pounds in my first six months. So by by August first, um, I had lost exactly a hundred pounds, and that was I set myself as as a goal, and. Uh, which got me down to 230 pounds. And um, then I decided, I, but I was going at it so hard. I just, I need a month off to kind of recharge and my brain. And in that month, in that month I regained like five pounds, but you know, but then it's like, I got right back on it again. And um, people always ask me like, what kind of fasting protocols did you use? And I said, I used the protocol of no protocol. And uh, they're like, what does that mean? I was like, I like in the gym, you always say like it's muscle confusion. So I said, for one of a better term, I created my own term as like stomach confusion. So my stomach never knew I would do like a one meal a day and then I would do like ADF and then I would do a four day fast and then I eat like four days in a row. Um, but still kept the carbs super low the whole time. And, um, and then I, I, my longest fast I did was 14 days. And I, I only did that once. And my just to get the se a seven-day fast, I had to five times I had to try and do that, and I failed four times. It wasn't until the fifth time that I – and some, one time I got like six days and six hours into it, and I was like, I need food. I, I'm just – I'm done. And uh, But then after that, it's, it was, you know, being deep into ketosis really made me feel amazing. Um you know, I was so much energy and I, and I people have said to me, like, when I fast, I feel lethargic and I don't have any energy and my brain's all fuzzy. And I come back to them and I'll say, well, all I can tell you is I have felt that way too. But what I found is when I, when that happened to me, it was because I wasn't setting up the fat fast properly. Um, when I went into it, super low carb, I would roll into it. I would still get hungry, but, um, I think it was like that first year when I was really crushing the loss. Um, my wife went away for a week for a girl's trip. She came back and she walked into the house and she's like, okay, two questions. Who are you and where's my husband? And I'm like, what? And she goes, you, the house looks amazing. Like I had cleaned everything. I had done everything on the honey-do list that she wanted me to do. I built like raised bed garden boxes. I filled them. I planted stuff. I, you know, I painted and I built stuff. And she's like, how did you find time for this? I'm like, I don't know. I was just, I was full of energy. And um, that was, that was during an entire, you know, extended fast that I did all of that. So um, 
I'm not saying every fast is like that, but if if it, it is possible. Oh, for, and I think um, that's, that's a good, what, a quick good point for people that I I think is missed sometimes is like when you hear when I see people who are kind of eating like a standard diet, like a carb, you know, high carbs, moderate protein, low, low fat. And they talk about doing extended fasting. And I'm like, oh, it, I just don't understand. You know, it's going to be miserable for you. You know, without that fat adaptation, without your body, with your body expecting fuel every couple hours, you're not going to feel great. And then they come out of it and they're like, that was the worst, you know, 48 hours of my life. And I'm like, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Two summers ago, just, not, not exactly. Two summers ago, um, my son-in-law asked if if I would be interested in helping them put up straw. You know, and, and when when it's time to put the straw up into the barn, you know, we're talking eleven, twelve thousand bales, and um, it was like it's July fourth around there. It's like ninety-five degrees, and we're out in the sun. And so he knew that I was doing a lot of fasting at that time. So he told my wife. He said. I would love to have him come, but I don't want him to be fasting when he does it because I can't afford to have him pass out. Um, so I'm 56 at that time. And uh, <laughs> so we come over and I am flying around like a lunatic, you know, working as hard as I possibly can. And I'm out in the sun and I'm not up in the top of the barn, which is where it's the nastiest and the hottest. But that being said, I am out there. I'm, I'm throwing bales onto the conveyor belt going up through. And um, they're going over. They said, well, we're going over for dinner. Like, come on over. I'm like, actually, I'm going to go home and change clothes because what I'm wearing is, is too hot. So I went over, you know, swapped up my clothes and came back. So I got around the whole skipping the meal thing that way. And at, at the end of the day... <laughs> um, he, he walks over to me and says, quietly, he goes, he said, you're, you're fasting, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, why? And he's like, he goes, he didn't say, like, he told me not to, but he's like, gotcha. He goes, okay, um, I, I see. <laughs> like, 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 he realized that it, what he was worried about happening wasn't going to happen. Because I, I was popping salt pills, I was taking magnesium and potassium, and, and drinking lots and lots of water. So I got all my electrolytes replaced. And, um, it, was, it was one of the first things that I did, um, like really, I guess, it, it's not high heart rate work, but it's consistent, steady, hard work, which is basically puts you right in that heart rate zone to the aerobic zone where you're burning, you can burn fat. And so now we have a deal where, like, every year that they put up straw, I, I said, I got, you have to have me come over. I, I, I need this. <laughs> so if it's on a weekend, I'll, I'll definitely be there if I can get there around my work. But, um, and I think that was one of the steps towards leading me into what came later as far as trying to do longer work. Um, like, at, fifth, at my age, I'm not going to be the world's fastest runner. I'm not going to be the world's fastest cyclist. And then that can get very frustrating because, you know, as humans, I think we want to, once we get at that addiction to uh, competition and working, we want to see some results. And uh, I, I think going, going, going slow and far is, has, is where I've kind of settled in to my little niche in life. Um, I, I may not, I, I'm not, it's not that I may not, I will never um, win a marathon 
I will definitely never win a 5K. Um, it's actually a much harder race than a marathon for anyone who's had, doesn't run. Uh, because you're, you're running so hard for such a short limited time, you're going to have a heart attack much more likely in a 5K than you are in a marathon. I, I firmly believe that. Um, but uh, so now, I mean, I'm not intentionally trying to segue, but um, off the books that I've read and things, you know, I, my books changed in a, a bit from just nutrition to also working out, well, what are the ideal ways for working out? And it's amazing how many people out there have embraced the idea of low carb um, working out, low carb athletics. What can you do um, as a low carb um, athlete? And the people up there, people have done some just absolutely crazy, amazing things. And that kind of takes us into like, you're starting to kind of get to this place of letting people know. Cause one, I do want to highlight because a lot of times I'm, when I'm talking to guys on this show, I'm talking to guys who are in their, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys in their 20s, early 30s, you know, like kind of, and it's rare that I talk to someone who is in my what I would consider my age group. Uh, so I don't want to, I don't want to say you're you're in the old man's club with me, but dude, you, I'm past you. you oh, well, I know, <laughs> like you're, I I, I didn't also want to go there, um, but you're. You, you're kind of in, in a lot of ways, like a lot of the stuff you're talking about, I, I think should go through the lens for people of you didn't start. You didn't just have your first desire to kind of make change when you were 20. Like you've been doing this your whole life. But this right. big kind of like lasting mindset change came when you were in your 50s. And I, I feel like there's I, I hear I hear from people all the time that are like they feel like their opportunity has passed to make change. And so I kind of, there's a part of me that wants to kind of hammer home to people that it's, it's never, you know, it's, it's not too late if you're still there, you're still in the game. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, there's two things I want to spin off of that. And one of them is a story, but what I will say is I guess one of the big frustrations I have is seeing people in their twenties, thirties and forties, like, just like you said, you know, my opportunity is over. And I, I get at the same side, like I, I really want like to challenge people and say, look, I'm doing this when I'm 50. I'm making this transition in my fifties. You know, I'm closer to 60 now than I am 50. And um, I, I wish I had had the information that you have in your twenties and thirties that I had in my twenties and thirties. And I, I think that's the upside now. Like there's so much information available um, it, it's not just advertisements for the Cambridge diet, you know, or for Weight Watchers or, you know, some other like the grapefruit diet. Like the, you can research and, and dig and find things that cross reference and that you can see what things are, are kind of supported by your own personal experience. Like, yes, I've seen that. That, it, that has happened to me. And so that gives that kind of mindset more credence with you as far as an, an opportunity to make a lifestyle change to, to lose weight and whatnot. Um, what I will say is when I was 30 and I was, uh, actually I wasn't even 30 yet, but I was 27 and I knew I was going, 27, the sevens have always been difficult birthdays for me, 27, 37, 47. Um, ironically, 57 was not, but that was, we're talking pre-mindset change. Um, at 27, I literally figured my life was over. And it wasn't because I was morbidly obese at that time. I was in pretty good shape. 
but I'm thinking I'm 27, you know, I'm never going to do anything athletically amazing because 30 year olds can't do anything. And that summer was the world track and field championships in Tokyo. And I, my friend was in Tokyo in language school and I went up to visit him. And in that summer, um, Carl Lewis was the bomb. I mean, like he, he was chasing the world record in the hundred. He was chasing the world record in the long jump. And he was chasing Bob Beeman's record from 68 at the Mexico Olympics. It had 23 years had never been broken and never even come close to being challenged. But Lewis was creeping in on it. And Lewis did set the world record um, for the 100-meter dash at that event. And um, that really rocked my world because here's a guy who was 30. He had just turned 30, and he was the fastest man in the history of humanity. And he did it while I was in Tokyo. Um, ironically, the record that I think he really wanted <laughs> was the long jump record. And two days later, Bob, I mean, um, Mike Powell, the U.S. long jumper, who I was, he wasn't 30, but he was about my age, um, broke Bob Beeman's record in Tokyo. Um, with this, this just, you can look it up on YouTube. It's amazing to watch him do it. And uh, similar to the way, the way um, Bob Beeman did it. And I, I think, yeah, like your life, and it's back to the real point, your life is not over at 30, you're definitely not in your 20s. You, you have the tools, you have access to the information. I mean, they've got, they've got Gourmet, you know, like, hey, you know, what, what should I, you know, I'm not going to indemnify you to like help people, but like, you know, like, well, how did, you know, how did you make the switch? And like, and really, I think each person's got to figure that out for themselves. But like I said before, like, it has got to be mindset. Um, they've got, you know, they got so many people on Instagram who are in the process of doing this or ha who have done it. And um, you have like, in a sense, like a cloud of witnesses around you saying, look, you can do this. You can do this. If I did this, you can do this. I am not special. And, and I, I keep, I tell people like, wow, dude, you're amazing. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just a guy who makes mistakes constantly. Um, I, I, I mess up more than I'm successful. And I guess the reason I'm still in the game is because I choose to not quit. And I keep, I keep fighting. I want that next thing. I mean, I, I, I do not have the body that I want to have. Even, even at like, you know, at 215 that I was like a week and a half ago, um, that's not where I want to end up. I want to end up lower still. And it, it's, it's not the number on the scale. It's the look of that body the ability of that body. Um, and I, you know, I, in part of what I do for, you know, we haven't gotten there yet, but some, you know, some of the guys that I run with are in their seventies and eighties doing ridiculous stuff. And you know, I, society calls it ridiculous. And they just go like, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's what I do, you know, and they just, they, they enjoy it. And so they, they just keep going. And, and I think you're, I think you had so. something really important there. And that's that there there are so many kind of living examples. Like, well, first, I want to say, if I hear from one more person who's turning 30 telling me that their life is over, I'm going to go on. <laughs> I'm going to go on. I'm going to go on a 72 hour rant on Instagram, because honestly, it happens a lot. Like even one of my friends, I mean, he he's probably listening to this. I would love to call him out by name because he's posting that his 30th birthday is coming this week. And he's like. Last week, last weekend in my 20s, uh, you know, full of despair. Like, I'm like, dude, 
shut up. Like, there's a point where you want to listen to people and be empathetic and, you know, be nice and help. But there's there's also when someone in their 20s is dreading their 30s is when you want to get the hose and turn the hose on them until they they stop talking about it. Like, that's that's just one little that's a little pet peeve of mine that I'll throw out there. But more importantly, you were talking about the examples of like you, me, other people that are out there. Like I look at, you know, every person that's been on, you know, on this show and has had success. Like, I think what happens is people in the audience look and see what we've done and then think, okay, I need to do exactly what they've done, and they miss the point. And that point is something you just said, and that's that look to other people for inspiration and for possibility and also for knowledge and for experience and what they used, and then be willing to treat yourself as the experiment. Don't say, I found this tool. I know this is going to be the one that's going to change my life because you're not going to know until you do it. And so you try something because all too often someone, especially like I hear, I see this all the time being, you know, I've got, I have keto in my Instagram handle, people who message me and they're like, I tried keto and I just couldn't do it. And I failed and I put the weight back on. And so there's no hope for me. And it's like, well, if you believe there's no hope for you, there's no hope for you. Like you need to say, okay, I tried this and it didn't work. So let me try something else. And like you're saying, I think that's so important. That idea you know, I, I have a friend uh, who's been on the show uh, more than once, uh, Miles, and one of the things that, that Miles has said to me a lot, you know, throughout my almost entire journey that we've known each other is you have to be willing to fail. Like you have to understand that there's going to be times where you try your best at something and you don't do it. And then you learn from that and you move on to trying something else. And it's that willingness to keep trying and to keep working to find what's going to work. And also, and this is what I like about your story, because, you know, one of the things that I, I always do is ask people to kind of send me their information. And you, you message me and you're like, I sent you, I sent you an encyclopedia on my life. Dig through it and, and we'll talk. And one of the things that really stood out to me was this idea that, like you were saying, you're not just keto. You're not just carnivore. You're not just this. You're not just that. You're all things and nothing. You know, you're Eddie. You're what Eddie needs to do to live Eddie's best life. And I think that's what a person needs to come to. Don't look for a cookie cutter answer. Don't look for a boxed packaged program that someone can hand you that's going to quote unquote fix everything. Because it's when you start to think that you can find all your answers in one place that you realize that you're not finding any answers at all. Because you're, you've limited your vision, you've limited your scope, you've limited your willingness to actually adapt and roll with the punches and be in the journey. You know, you have to be an active participant in your journey. It's it's why when a lot of people even ask me about keto, I don't just say, okay, eat X, Y, and Z, and then that's all you need to do. You know, I say, I need you, here's a website with a lot of research. Here's books to look at. Here's things to do. And when someone pushes back and says they don't want to do any research and they don't want to do any of that reading on their own, it's when I get it inside my head, I'm like, oh, then you're not in that place where you're ready to actually make long-lasting, sustaining change because you have to be willing to explore, learn, try, fail, win. Cause that's what we, the other thing is like, as, as much right. as you're failing, you're winning, you know, like that's, I don't, I don't want anyone to lose sight of that, man, because there's the a lot winning of winning is the reason you keep coming back. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's just so important to be willing to find and craft that journey of your own. And, and you can have people help you. You can, you know, you and I both work as coaches, you know, coaches are an amazing resource, but the coach doesn't do anything for you. 
the coach in, in a lot of ways serves things up. You know, the, the coach sets the ball up on the tee, but you're the one that needs to swing. You know, you're the one that needs to take that hit and then see what happens. Like, there's just – and it's being open to that possibility that I, I think is just really that one commonality. Because, like, I've talked to guys that have lost weight with keto, carnivore, weight loss surgery, um, Weight Watchers, Octavia even, like calorie, straight calorie country, if it fits your macros, like everything, you know. And no one's journey is right and no one's journey is wrong if they found what works for them. Right. Yeah, I mean, with I remember early on, like when I was having success, I had a few friends of my wife. It's like, okay, like you've lost all this weight. Like I, you've really inspired me. So like, can you help me do this? And we, we come over and we start talking about people. And I think the other thing that tells me quite quickly that the person is not yet ready isn't like, oh, I could never do that. And they, they, they just say, I can't, like right off the bat. And there's that whole thing where like whether you say you can or you can't, you're right. Because it, it is, and again, it's all mindset, you know. And then so you're like, um, when I lived in Japan, I had two rules regarding food. And neither of them was can't. It was, I won't eat fish eggs and I won't eat fish eyes. And, that, and they said, well, what about everything else? And I'm like, I'm willing to try everything else, but I'm, I ate blowfish. I ate everything. You know, you know, I'm like, no, I'm not doing fish eyes, dude. I, I, no, I draw a line at that point. Um, I was like, yeah, it's just too gross for me. Um, but I ate just about everything else. And, um, but you know, you, I can often tell when I'm sitting down with somebody just to help, to help them and we're discussing what is going to be involved how successful they're going to be and just based upon how they react to things. And I, I know a lot of people will say like, well, the problem is you focus too much on, and I think a lot of new people do that. Well, what can't I eat? And they're focusing on, I'm like, okay, if you're eating keto, you can't eat the quote unquote, you can't eat this and you can't eat that. But like, look at what else you can eat. I mean, you're, you're focusing on the negative to the point that you're missing this vast plethora of options you know and um so it's i mean i, I think eating keto as a vegetarian is hard um it, it's it's like you're almost like a, um in bike riding they would call it cross-chained when you're off the big ring and like the big cog or the small ring and the small cog and the train you know you're, you're trying to go across the grain too far um so i mean i'm but not to get into that but um yeah, it, sometimes people are just like, well, I, I, if, wait, if you're telling me I can't have cake, then I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm like, seriously? Like, your life is completely messed up. You're in pain constantly because of medications you're taking. So you can't, like, that's the deal breaker on your health? And like, is like, really? You know what I mean? Like, trust me, nobody, nobody loves pizza more than me. I mean, like, I... You know, I, every every Sunday night I would order it. And then, like, I get to the point where, like, I would call the pizza place in Japan and they would answer the phone and ask me how by name because they knew who I was. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's like I ordered that much. I've eaten that much pizza in my life. I even had my own pizza websites in Japanese and critique Japanese pizza places. But um, there comes that point where you're like, okay, I love it, but... I, I don't love it more than being healthy. I don't love it m more than, you know, being around for my wife. I don't love it more, you know, and the activity, the physical ability that I've gained. You know, I, I'm even though on on Instagram I refer to myself as Fast Eddie, it's kind of a it's a double joke because 
I'm not fast, but I do make use of fasting a lot. And also I'm a big uh, Paul Newman fan. So he was like fast Eddie Felsen from The Hustler. So, um, I mean, almost no one remembers that. So I can probably get away with it most of the time. But yeah, it's um, the, th the things I'm doing in that respect are based upon, I think, just like you were saying, like the failure comes with, uh, you know, there are those victories which keep you coming back. And, and you know, Edison failed, you know, I've, I've heard the number quoted so many different ways. Who knows what it really is? But he quote he failed more than he succeeded. Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen this video, but I, I tell everybody that I'm coaching, you have to watch this video. And it's, it's from Honda, the motor company. Um, it's called Failure, the Secret to Success. And people get so bent out of shape about the fact that they fail and that's not cool. Like, oh, I failed at this. I'm like, cool, do it again. I'm like, what? You know, like Bruce Lee, I think it was, or sorry, Muhammad Ali would say like he only counted push-ups or sit-ups after they started hurting. You know, and like, you know, and all these people have, that are, have done something great, um, like Michael Jordan, how many, how many last shots in games did he miss? You know, too many to count. He got cut from his, his junior high school. I mean, as a, as a junior in high school, he got cut from the basketball team because he wasn't good enough. And I think it's like what happens to you when those adversities come to you, how you decide this is not going to define me, I'm going to do this. Um, and someone who's very near and dear to my heart, Tom Brady, you know, he was, I mean, if, if you read his whole backstory at Michigan, he basically got messed around by the coaching staff. Like no matter what he did, he kept getting bumped down, bumped down. He was drafted 199 in the 2000 draft, like six quarterbacks went ahead of him. And that pissed him off so much. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I just want to beat everybody every time and nothing's ever good enough. So um, I think in that same respect, you know, you can still be fun. You can still be a cool person. You can, you can like other people, but we, we have to take our health seriously. Um, you know, I've, it's been so cool to meet guys on the Instagram community who are, you know, making their own changes and, you know, it just reach out and tell people. There's a guy up in Canada. Um, I want to say, I think his, his name is Chance. Um, I don't know if he's from Manitoba, Saskatoon. He's a truck driver, you know. And I remember when he was losing weight, and I'm like, dude, do not take your foot off the gas. You can lose 250 pounds in a year. He was so close. You know, and, and I wasn't chastising him. I was like, I said, here's the reason why. I, I will never be the best, but I also will never be the worst. And I said, I use that as like something I come back to. It's like my goal is to help, you know, my wish is to help you be better than I was. I said, someone's going to come along with a better story than me in a heartbeat. Like every 24 seconds, someone's going to come along. I said, and I said, I lost 100 pounds in six months. So I know that's possible. I said, if you can lose 250, now, why didn't I lose 250 pounds in like a year? Because I probably wouldn't be alive if I was under 150, you know. So, but I mean, I, I would have to have been more further metabolically broken than I was to do what he did. That doesn't make me lesser person. It just means he's got this greater opportunity to craft this more amazing story, which he did. He he hammered it, you know. And, and every day, like he's out there just sharing his emotions and stuff. And he, you know, I have so much respect for him. 
because of what he, you know, and like the things that he struggles with. And I oftentimes I think he's a lot more honest about his journey than I am. And I'm kind of like, yeah, I, I'm going to come clean. Like I got to basically say that I gained back 12 pounds in the, during my last race and in the days after. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in given how many miles I ran, that is further proof that running doesn't make you lose weight. <laughs> well, let, we it's, haven't it's even really lot, talked about that. that. We haven't even really talked about that. How, how much you run. Like, it's it's not a 5K. It's it's not one marathon. No. You you you, you did something recently. Like even no. just even just talk about what you did recently. Okay, I, I've been kind of talking around it, not going into because I, I, I obviously I felt that you, at some point you would want to get to it, but then, until I was ready. So um, a week ago there was a, there was an event in New Jersey. It's called Three Days at the Fair, and it's held at the New Jersey State Fairgrounds. And what it is, it's a one-mile tarmac um, and concrete paved course, and you run loops on this course, and you get as many miles, many loops as you can. Now, there are various options available. You can do a six-hour run. You can do a 12-hour run. There's a 24-hour run, um, 48 hours, 72 hours, and 144 hours. Um, I chose to do the 72-hour event. And people are like, so how far are you running? And I said, I don't know. And they're like, what do, you, what do you mean you don't know? And I said, well, it's the, the goal is to run as many miles as you can in three days. And like, but when do you sleep? And I said, that's up to you. You get to decide. And um, given what happened to me back in March at my previous event, I wanted to make sure I finished strong, which is a, a big mantra of mine. Like, you don't want to, like, blow out um, – you know, empty all your, your energy early on and then come into the, the finish line slow and crippled, you know. So I, I wanted to finish strong. So um, this, this may freak out some people, but my goal for three days was 202 miles, um, which people are going, how is that even possible? Well, I will tell you, the guy who won the 72-hour event did 240 miles, now, there's, there's not a lot of sleeping happening at that time. Um, I ended up in the three days, I did 141 miles, 141. Um, and it, it's now getting to the point with the numbers where I'm kind of starting to see the, what's the word, the confusion you know, that everybody's feeling. Like, how, how do you do that? And um, it's basically it's, it's it is relentless forward progress. You the, the the guys who really crush these events just don't stop. And um, so you know the first day I did seventy miles. Um, the second day I think I only did about thirty, and then the last day I did forty two or forty three miles. And so my I'm dissatisfied with the miles on day two and day three. Because I know I could have done more, um, <laughs> and and all all told, it ended up being five the, the equivalent of more than five marathons over the three days. Um, which I know people are going like, but like that's insane. And I was like, well, I wanted to do six or seven, and um, so I, I was you know it's that that same thing where like it's that balance between being unhappy with what you achieved, but still being thankful that you did it. 
and then you use that as your springboard to move forward. Um, what was really fun, because I did it mostly um, low carb, and um, I actually listed on, on one page that I was on exactly what I ate during the three days. And um, I had like 15 hamburgers, um, only one hamburger bun, four hot dogs, uh, no hot dog buns. Um, I had lots of uh, chicken broth, you know, keep the salt and the electrolytes. And um, I had like rice in the morning for breakfast mixed in with that. And I, I did have some Skittles and I did have five Sour Patch Kids over three days. So, <laughs> so there was a little bit of sugar, but the sugar wasn't the reason why I was able to do things. And what really freaked out the race director was the fact that my 50th mile, 5-0, was my fastest. And then my 51st was even faster still. Um, and he's like, how, how are you doing this? And, I'm, and I, I'm like, well, I can tell you later if you want, because I'm not burning sugar. My point was that I kept a nice steady pace, and then when I wanted to, I could kick it in. Um, my muscles weren't depleted of glycogen. And then what's even more fun was when we came around at the end of 48 hours, and I was about to hit my 100th mile, um, I'm like, let's really, really go nuts. And my 100th mile was my fastest of the entire event. It was uh, 10 minutes, 50, 59 seconds. And my, uh, my best friend from Texas, actually, who had been at the race but had to go home for a family emergency, um, he messaged me like 10 minutes later. He said, you did not just click off a 1059. Like, he was just <laughs> incredulous. Like, what are you thinking? And I was like, dude, I, I was in the zone. And um, <laughs> hi. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear her. <laughs> She's like, Dad, I want to go outside. Um, but, yes, yeah, so, I mean, and so – I was, I was 141 miles. That was my longest distance ever. Um, people are amazed by it, but my thinking is, well, yeah, but it was over three days. So I'm, I'm not that impressed by 141 miles in three days. Um, but what I will say is that if I had still been 400 pounds, that was ne never happening. Because there's no way your, my, my body could have held that much weight or, or run that, that pace on those later laps. And I think that puts it in the context, you know, for people listening, like to you, that doesn't sound amazing to me and 99% of the people listening, we're doing the math in our head and we're like, that's eh, still a lot of miles every day. You know, that's still, you know, it's showing the possibility again, it's showing that you can have wins, but also come up and say, there's something more I want to do. You know, I did that. And that's great. Yes. But there's still more that I want to do. And I think it's that willingness to still – and it's not that – you know, and you can correct me if, I, if I'm wrong in, in kind of interpreting some of the things you're saying. But it's not that you beat yourself up and feel like you – what? why is it even worth trying again? You know, clearly you didn't hit your goal. Things suck. You know, you didn't do it. So you're, you're, no, you're no good at this. So why are you even trying? It's saying, okay, this is what I did but I still know that I have another goal out there. I still have another hurt. There's another hurdle for me to jump. It's not done. It's not all over. I'm not ready to say I've done everything I need to do. Exactly. No, you, you, you pretty much nailed it. Exactly. I mean, and the other thing is we, we've talked about failing and, and coming back and, you know, I've done 24 hour races where you have 24 hours to do as much as you can on this course. And my first time I'm like, yeah, I, I can, you know, you go in really cocky, you know, like I've done so much, um, I, I'm, I'm shooting for a hundred and, um, 
you end up going out too fast it's called and it's called blowing up and blowing up is where you go too fast too early and you empty the tank too fast in your body mentally physically you know energy wise and you end up just basically creeping across the finish line. Well, that, my first 24, I did 72 miles. And my second 24, same race, a year later, I did 76. And that really frosted me because that's an improvement of four miles. And that's like nothing. You know, I beat myself up. Um, and so like, I, I really began to wonder, will I ever get a 100-mile finish? Because, you know, there's something special about saying you, you ran 100 miles. And people, people always are like, dude, why? I, I just, you know, and you, you have to be somewhat demented and so much very driven to do this. Um, there's a, a guy on YouTube called Billy, he's Billy Yang. He does amazing videos. And one of them is called Why I Run 100 Miles. And um, I watch that constantly because he so sums it up. Like, it, and you meant, you said the magic word, suck. It sucks. Like, you don't do this for the fun. And I don't do it for, you know, to burn calories. And I, I don't do it. Um, I don't know. There's all kinds of reasons why, why I, I don't do it. But I, the reason why I do it is because I learned so much about myself. I, I improve my mindset because I don't quit. You know, you, you can't stop, like, especially on a point to point, you're starting here, you have to go there. If you don't get to their end, then you're stuck in the middle of the wilderness. And um, so last September, I did I did a 100 mile run, and on that run, you know, for the first, you know, what was it? I I I went I went deep on strategy. I planned out everything. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get slower as the race goes on, so I'm planning to go to be slower. And um, I actually got to the 50 mile mark ahead of schedule, and I was still on pace to do 100 miles in 24 hours. But at mile 30, my right knee stopped bending. It literally stopped working. I'm, I have 70% of the race remaining. And one of the guys who was there in his first 100, he's like, so you, is, is, it, is it bad enough to quit? And I'm like, dude, I'm not quitting. Like, I'll fix this. You know, he's like, but your right leg doesn't work. And I'm like, yeah, I'll fix it. And so I just, I, I literally walked it off. And within two miles, I was running again. Um, and so basically I, I got to mile 50, th you know, things were going okay. I got to mile 60 and mile 60 was a magic point for me because at mile 60, I picked up a pacer, which was my son. And he basically went with me deep into the forest during the night. Um, you know, kept me focused, kept me from like walking off into the, you know, off the trail or anything. And um, so and that started like, like 10 o'clock at night until about 2 a.m. And we, I did not sleep the entire event. And um, he got me to mile marker 80. And at mile marker 80, my other, other friend Bryce picked me up and he paced me all the way to the end. And, I, you know, having those guys with you, they keep you focused. They keep you energized. They keep you, know, keep you like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And, um, that, and I, I think, again, the, the parallels to our weight loss journey situation um, never end. We, we've got these people around us come, come on, dude, you can do this. You can, you know, don't, you're, you're not done yet. You know, you, like you look good. You, like, people lie to you constantly in ultra events. Dude, you're looking sweet, man. You have all the energy in the world, man. You know, and, and then suddenly it becomes true.
and um, had my first hallucination about 4 a.m. when I saw a giant king cobra come out of the forest and attack my pacer Bryce. Um, of course, there was no snake. It was just my mind doing weird things to me because I was sleep deprivation. And um, but then when the sun comes up, man, you're like, okay, let's rock and roll. Let's keep going. And I think, again, that whole the reason I do ultras and I run these crazy distances is to figure out what my limits are and to also, I mean, on one, to make myself better um, physically, mentally. And it also teaches me I ain't quitting. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to quit. Um, I'm, you know, my, my journey isn't over yet. Um, you know, right now I'm like at 227. Well, I still want to be like 190, but now I'm, I'm going to, you know, with, with, a, with my running coach now, I'm going to focus on, okay, between now and September when I'm going back to do that hundred mile race again, which I want to do it faster. Um, my goal is to steadily and calmly shave pounds off and work on increasing my speed, but keep doing it low carb. And, um, yeah, I mean, so, um, you know, that first time you get that first buckle, you know, it's, and, and, and in one sense, because until you cross that finish line in that race, you are never really sure that it's going to happen. But once, once you get across, everything changes. And what you can't do then is just like, well, I'm, I'm wonderful now. I'm great. I don't need to do any more work. And I think that's where what I'm doing now comes into play is like I keep pushing myself because if you get cocky, if you get if you rest on your laurels, boom, 400 pounds again. And it, I, I can never go. I refuse to go back to that because I'm having way too much fun. And the people I meet are way too cool and, and super, you know, super nice. And I always tell people, like, I think, you know, the fasting mindset ties in with the ultra mindset, the ultra running or cycling or whatever, because it's the same thing. Like if, if you're trying to control your food, there are things popping up in your mind, in your subconscious saying, Gormy, you need a burrito. You need a pizza. <laughs> Ed, you need a donut. You know, you need a bag of chips. And you, at some point, we need to get control over that mindset and basically say, no, shut up. I know what I'm doing. I'm not going to take your advice because I have a better path. And the more we bump into that, the more we embrace or attack those opportunities for failure, the stronger we get psychologically and our mindset gets stronger. And I think so, that's a, um, no, go I, ahead. I, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, and which comes back into my long-term goal. Um, one of the things that my, what I really want to do, and it, now it's, I'm, it's racing the clock now because you know, I'm trying to become the first person ever to do this thing. And what I want to do is become the first person ever to lose more than 200 pounds and then subsequently run a 200 mile event. And to my, to my knowledge, it's never been done. Um, a ton of people, rimshot, um, people have lost, have lost a lot of weight and run hundreds. But very few people are twisted enough to want to go out and do 200 because that, that's where the real nastiness comes. Like between 100 and 200, it really sucks. I mean, we're talking blisters, pain, dehydration, hallucinations. Um, and like, well, why would you do that? Because I, I think one the reason I do it is I, I didn't mention before, but I want to remove 
excuses from people. Like, if I can do this, what can you do? Like, you could, you, everyone who's you know, going to listen to this, everyone I talk to and meet, are capable of so much more than they're giving themselves credit for. You may not get there today, but if you keep with it, you're going to. I mean, there's, there's literally nothing that's impossible to you, to the man who is relentless and keeps going after it. And I say man, I mean like the human. I mean men, women, it, you know, it doesn't matter. And, and that, that was going to be my question. You know, I wanted to get to that, that next, that big goal, like that big piece there. And I think that's, and, and you also answered one of the other questions I, was, I think people would have, which is, you know, how do you change your mindset? Like, because you've talked, we've been talking about the importance of that. And I think that is that willingness to, to try and fail and win and fail and be relentless and not give up. And it's about continuing to do that work is, is what brings that change. Like it's not sit down and do X exercise. It's go through it, go through it and be willing to continue and f do whatever it takes to continue sometimes. And I think that's a, another kind of parallel there to the ultra running, because sometimes it, like you said, you know, your leg locked up, you had to do what you had to do to get through those, you know, two miles so you could run again. And I think that is also a big part of a, a successful long-term, you know, substantial weight loss journey is being willing to do what you need to do. Like, under, like I, I have that discussion with my clients all the time when they're like, I'm facing this event or, you know, it's one of the big topics that's been coming up because we're into that. You know, now that the world's opening back up again, we're into like that graduation season and, you know, parties and all those things are happening. You know, when people are like, I'm, I'm following strict keto and I'm going to this party and I'm not going to be participating in the party because I'm not going to eat the food that's at the party. And I'm like, well, one. That is such a lie, first well, of all. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm like, well, one, <laughs> one, yeah, going to a party is not about food. If someone invites you to their graduation, it's about celebrating their graduation. And there's no way on earth that the person who's graduating, you know, or it's, it's their birthday or it's their wedding, whatever it is. They, even if someone there says they're concerned about the celebration won't be complete until every person shoves a piece of cake in their face, that's just not true. You know, so you talk through that side of it. But the other piece of it is, is you have goals right now and your goals involve staying on your, the plan that you're following that is helping you. And why would yeah. you deviate from that? Like, what is, what is it about this event that's more important than your goals? Because that's what you're saying. You're saying that this event is a priority over your health. And we've talked about you're changing your health because you want to be there for your kids or you want to be there for your significant other or you want to survive. Whatever the reason is, why is this cake at this party more important than that? And it always and the boils, obvious answer is it's, it's not. It's not. And it, it always boils down to and, this, and whether they admit it out loud or not because it's something I've had to admit myself, it's got nothing to do with that event being so important. It's got to do with wanting cake, you know, like that's what's important about that cake. It's got nothing to do with it being the best cake in the world, a cake you could never have again. Zero to do with that. It's because simply you're creating all of this smoke around the fact that your brain is telling you you want cake. When you blow that smoke exactly. away, blow that smoke away and look at it for what it is, it's easier to say, am I going to make a choice to change my priorities or am I going to do what I know I need to do? No, that's a hundred percent. I I'm all over that. I agree completely. Um, you just remind me. There's a book. <laughs> I, I've read so many books. <laughs> um, Pres Presto, how I made a hundred pounds disappear by Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller. 
Um, interesting book, and there's a point where it, I don't recommend doing the, the diet that he did. Oh, um, yeah. I believe it oh, can yeah. work. Um, I've actually been tempted to do it for a month or so. But there's a point in there where he talks about how he would go to parties or he would go to meetings. And he, at some point, he realized that there's always, instead of trying to eat the best, best of the bad choices, he goes, there's always another choice. He goes, and that is eat nothing. You know, he said, like, why do I have to, like, you know, I, I just sit there and drink black coffee. I can sit there and just drink water. Um, you know, you can always make up some kind of excuse that people will, will swallow. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's really not, not their concern because you're taking care of your body. And, um, he's, you know, when he said, like, there's always this other option, which is in the if I know that once I start eating at a party, I'm not going to be able to control myself. I'm not at that place yet. Then he said, then just choose to eat nothing. And that's, that's what he did a lot of times. And I've, I've done that at my son's birthday party. People are like, I've done it at the like business dinners where like the owner of the company, you know, the, the, you know, their wife was like, you're making me really uncomfortable because you're not eating. And I was like, well, she's like, no, this, you're supposed to be enjoying this time with us. And I'm like, well, I am enjoying the time with you, but the food is not the reason I'm enjoying it. It's I'm enjoying the time with you because you are here. I'm here for you, not for the food. And I, and I think, I mean, that may, that may sound cliche, but if we actually try to believe that way, that is why we're there. We're there to celebrate their event, not the fact that they're giving me free food. So back off. <laughs> and, and that's the hard part um, is like sometimes, yeah, you, so, sometimes I mean, you have to tell those people to back off. Like sometimes you have to say, yes. like someone says what you're doing is making me uncomfortable. You have to say, I'm sorry, but your discomfort literally has nothing to do with me. I have no control over that. I'm like, you need to, you know, if, if what I'm doing to save my life is making you uncomfortable, I need you to think about that. And I've had to say that to people, you know, where they said, well, you know, I just feel like, you know, it's, it's making me feel like the event's not a success because you're not having the food. And I'm like, well, all you provided was pasta. So I'm sorry you're going to feel that way and I can't control how you feel. And there's some, I've had people say, well, that sounds cold. That sounds, that sounds mean. And I'm like, no, I think it's mean of someone who knows that you have made a change to your life to save your life, to tell you, I feel bad because you're not eating this food. I think that's mean. I think that's cruel. And now I'm getting on a high horse about that. So I'll simmer down. A right. Bit. Exactly. And but, it's like, it, you know, it, it's all at best. It's past, it's passive aggressive, exactly. you know, cause they're, mm-hmm. They're, they're fo- foisting, and also they're foisting their feelings upon you. And I'm, and one thing I, I keep telling my wife, like I, I honestly don't care what people think. And she goes, well, that's that's harsh. And I'm like, I, I really don't like I, what I, I want people around me to be happy, but I'm not gonna compromise my situation, my health, my my only true asset is me. And then that goes for everybody. It's not that my, that me is special. But it's just like this is the one. Like I am, I am my own best advocate for my health. If I can't take care of myself, who is? Nobody. Um, and like everybody's got to make those decisions for themselves. You know that you see tons of people who who buck the system. They don't listen to their doctor, and I'm not telling people not to listen to their doctor. But you know, like their doctor's saying, well, you sh- you shouldn't do this, but then they do it, and they get really healthy, and the doctor's shocked and surprised. Um, you know, and, and in my case, when I, I did things, um, you know, I, I lost like a hundred pounds in that six months. And we were like, you know, I, it, we're at the point now where I should get life insurance. 
And so I went, got the complete physical, head to toe, the whole thing. And we only wanted a quarter million dollar policy. And then the insurance company, they said, it's going to take a long time to get the data back. And three days later, they called me back and they said, um, we are blown away by the, your numbers. Uh, and we just want you to know, it was for a 30-year policy, which would have taken me to 80, 85. And um, he said, we are so confident that you're going to live to 85. We, we will offer you a million-dollar policy if, if, if you're willing to pay the premiums for it. And I was talking to somebody else, and they said, dude, for an insurance company, like, they play the actuarial tables. If they think you're going to die, they're not going to play that because they'll eventually have to kick out a, a million dollars. And I said, I said, so basically what you're telling me is that they, since they did that, they were really confident in my health. And I said, yes, they're dead confident. Um, he said, your number, and you know, my triglycerides were like 45. You know, and I hear people get their, their doctors telling their triglycerides like 138, 150, and the doctor's ecstatic. And, um, and I'm going, wow, 40, I feel really good about 45. <laughs> so, I mean, that wasn't my goal, but it, it, it just, you know, along the way of trying to lose weight, and I think there are, there are healthy ways to lose weight and there are unhealthy ways to lose weight. Um, people need to do their own research. And I always tell people, like, don't listen to me. Like, go find books. Read as much as you can. You know, do research because not all studies have true value. Like, you know, a lot of surveys, they're just collecting. They're self-reported. You know, it's, it's very rare that you get a good scientific study because there's no money in it. Um, for, you know, for what happens when people do this or they do that nutritionally. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, anyways, I, I'm not sure what the questions you want to ask, oh, but no. uh, I don't want to take you too far off. Is it? <laughs> it's okay, man. It's okay. We have got into a lot today and we've been talking for a while. So I do want to kind of bring us to a, a wrap up point and I will ask one last question before we move to kind of the closing piece. Eddie, is there anything that we haven't talked about today that you want to make sure you get to say? Um, wow. You know, it's, it's one of the problems is my wife's talked to me. It says, it says I, I tend to be Captain Non Sequitur, so I apologize. Um, and like things will, my brain goes faster than my mouth can. And so I sometimes I think I'm saying things that I'm not. So even at that point, I'm not really even sure. Uh, I guess my big challenge to people is just that literally I am not special. Um, people can look at like, dude, I can't believe you ran 140 miles. Well, here, hold my beer. Because, I don't drink beer, by the way, <laughs> because it's, em it's empty calories. Uh, <laughs> and I got too much else to do. I'm not against drinking beer. I just don't. Um, but there's more. Like, I am not done. I'm only, like, and I, here's the wheel. It's only. Oh, I'm only 57. Um, I have a whole lot more, like, and, and now the, because the clock's ticking, I want to do things. And then if anyone who's 30 is listening to this, dude, you're only 30. Do that. You're only 30. Like, you have so much time to fix yourself but you don't have so much time because this might be your window to do it. And we like now is always the best time to start. Um, there are some races that I want to run. that are just absolutely horrible. There's the Western States 100. There is Moab, which is a 240 mile race through the Utah desert. And 
I am in no way, shape or form ready to do those races. I'm not ready now. But because I didn't give up chasing the 100 miles, now I've done it twice. Um, I've gone over 100 miles twice. I've also came close to going over 100 miles, but didn't go over it because I did the entire race fasted. I, I didn't, well, that's not true. I did the whole first day fasted. I did 100 kilometers, 62 miles with no food whatsoever. And then I ended up just short at 90 miles because I made some stupid mistakes. But I learned. And that's the whole thing. Like, I, you know, you aren't going to learn as much by sitting on your butt doing nothing. The best way you can learn, the best way you can get better is to go out there, try stuff, fail, learn, come back right at it and do it again. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to go over 200 miles. There's, there's no question of that at some point. Um, my goal is to, is to do it healthily, quickly, I mean, you know, in a time frame. I don't want to do it like six days to get there. I, I want to do it faster, not faster than anyone else, but I'm also competing against myself in the past, which, which is a pretty easy standard to beat because my past performances weren't that great. But, you know, you, you will get frustrated. You will get upset at yourself. You'll think it's never going to happen. And as soon as you think that, it's going to happen. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, my challenge to everyone else is like, do not give up no matter where you are. There are people around you who are willing to help, um, who are able to help. Um, some, maybe a little piece of information might actually click for somebody. I'm not suggesting anybody do what I did. I'm not saying you or anyone should run 100 miles. I think there's value in it. I think there's a lot to learn from it. But that may not be your situation. That may not be your course. Um, I'm, if I'm going to be a success, it won't be because I ran 100 miles. It'll be because I didn't quit. And there, I quit, I've, I've now quit talking there. There we go. <laughs> well, man, if anyone does want to try to keep up with you, where do they find you? Oh, okay, cool. Um, probably my most uh, visible location is on Instagram. And uh, my handle is ultra fat uh, two ultra runner, and the two is the number two. So it's U uh, L T R A F A T number two, and then the word ultra runner. Um, the idea being that I used to be beyond fat; I was morbidly obese, but now I'm working at doing these long distance runs. Well, there we go, man. I will make sure there is a link in the show notes and. Eddie, I end every show with the same five questions for my guests. Are you ready for your run through the Fat Guy Five? Yes, I am, sir. Go for it. Okay. So question number one, Eddie, tell us, living or dead, who is your favorite fat guy? <sighs> Never thought about that, actually. Um, Jonathan Winters. Mm. He was – he wasn't – yeah, man, he was fat. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was was he was um, now now we're gonna start dating ourselves. Um, he was Mork and Mindy's kid, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He was actually the comedic inspiration for Robin Williams. Right. He was the guy who Robin Williams most tried to emulate, um, and most people don't know that much about him because you know he. But he was Mister Impersonation, Mister Voice. Oh yeah. He was just an amazing actor. I like it. I like it, man. Question number two: Tell us what is one lesson being that ultra fat guy taught you 
there, there's, there is an answer out there. Um, you just have to find it, and it's, it's not going to be a cookie cutter. Not only is answer, it, not only is it not one size fits all, it's also not a case of one size fits me for the rest of my life. It's going, it's going to change. Like what, what, what helps me at the beginning is not going to be what helps me going from 200 to 190 to 180 and running faster. I like it, man. I like it. Question number three, let's talk about action. Tell us what is one thing someone out there who, who's listening and wants to get their journey started today can do? Um, body weight exercise. You, you don't need to spend money. You have the earth. Um, the earth has gravity. You can do push-ups, even if you're doing like knee push-ups. Um, you can do walls. I mean, there's, there's literally no end to the number of physical things you can do, regardless of your weight. There's always something. Um, start where you are now. Don't make the excuse, I can't get to the gym. I'm too heavy for the gym. Um, I'm too big for the machines at the gym. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't have to spend money to lose weight. That's a great answer, man. Question number four, Eddie, tell us what is one thing about yourself that you love? I would say my wife, but that's not really me. So <laughs> um, I would just say my resiliency, uh, even when I was 400 and I, I was unhappy with who I was, I think I still believed that I was going to fix it and get it right someday. I just wish that I had found the answer earlier. Um, but I, yeah, just the fact that I'm, I'm not quitting. Perfect answer, man. And question number five, last question of the day. What is one goal you have for the next year that is not health, fitness, or weight loss related? Um, I want to start, I want to start my own website and I've tried, but while I am tech savvy, I'm not internet building savvy. And I have a lot of what I think are fun and good ideas, um, to help support people on the journey, same journey that I've made. Um, one idea is that I, I have a really, a couple of cool ideas, I think for t-shirts, but I'm looking at ways to try and get that, make that reality. Um, my wife and I have also talked about making my story into a book. And the problem is with me spending so much time running and working my shifts at work, uh, you need to actually sit down and actually write. Because writers write. I'm not really a writer. She is a writer. So that, I guess, which one is the most important? Um, I think the website probably trumps that a little bit. But uh, the two kind of go hand in hand. Um, I'd, I'd like to have more of, of an an online presence where I can, people can find me other than Instagram, uh, where people can come and say, Hey, you know, what about this? What about that? So that's, I think that's something I would like to do. And, uh, we're just trying to figure out how to make it happen financially. Um, you know, and just sort out all the tech details and make it, make it viable. There we go. That sounds awesome, man. I I'm excited to see all that is to come for you. And I really just appreciate you taking this deep, run through your journey no pun intended once again i think we people are ranking the puns in the episode <laughs> today 
But, man, I just want to say it was really great to talk to you, and I, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing everything that you did. Well, I, I appreciate you having me on. I'm a big, big fan of your work, and um, I, I love listening to your story. So, um, and it's, you know, I, I, was, I was telling my wife, I said, that there are quite a few similarities between you and myself. You know, the Vinnie Tortorich thing is as a little bit of a catalyst at some point. And I, I think even with that, um, you know, as long as you keep digging and looking for stuff, as long as you're moving, you can be steered in the right direction. It's, it's when we're not making any movements forward that it's hard for, you know, us to be moved into the right. Like if you're not doing anything, you're not going to have great revelations. It's, 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 it is the, the failing is the key and it says, oh, I can't go that way. Well, I'm going to go this way. So um, no, I, I appreciate Love, love listening to your stuff. Love seeing you know your channel and whatnot. Um, and but seriously, thank you. I, I, you, I appreciate this more than you'll know. Well, just an, another big thank you, man. Thank you so much for that and just for being here today. And thank you everyone out there for listening. If you want to connect with Eddie, I will put his information in the show notes. As I said, uh, you can also reach out to me on Instagram at gourmetgoesketo on Twitter at gourmetgoesketo. You can email the show at thefatguyforum at gmail.com. You can please leave a rating if you're listening to, especially if you're listening to us on Apple, rate the podcast, leave a review. That helps get us up there in the algorithm so more people hear amazing stories like Eddie's. And then, hey, my friends, remember, go out there and do something today to amaze yourself because you, in the end, are the most amazing people I know. And then come on back and catch us on the next episode of the Fat Guy Forum. 